Luke chapter 15, and we'll read verses 11 through 32 as we continue in the book of Luke. And now we come to, wow, perhaps, perhaps the most famous passage in all of the scriptures, the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. And I will arise, I I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this was my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost and is found. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. And now let's go to our God in prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, with what sweet words you speak to us in the scriptures. We pray that we would listen. We pray that as you now speak in applying these words to our hearts, 
that we would be receptive and that above all, Lord, that we would posture ourselves before the cross and cling to our risen Savior and embrace him by faith. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I promised we'd come back once more to finish off Luke chapter 15, that lost and found chapter of the Bible. Uh, Remember some of the items that Jesus showed us in this, this chapter that reads almost like a lost and found box where lost things end up and then their owners go to retrieve them. What, what have we seen so far? We saw one lost sheep that had strayed from its shepherd. We saw one lost coin that had rolled away from its owner. And we saw how with great detail, Jesus went on to show not only how uh, the shepherd looks for this sheep until he finds it and how that That woman sweeps the house until she finds that coin. But how incredible rejoicing breaks out upon finding these objects. Why does Jesus talk about these strange items? And why does he make such a big deal about them being found in Luke chapter 15? Well, we've already started to see this. Jesus is showing us the very heart of God and the very heart of his mission right here in the middle of of the book of Luke, right, you know, at at the climactic part of the book of Luke as we're leading up to to what Christ is about to do, but we're we're still looking forward to it. And you'll, you'll remember that all of this is a response to the complaint of the Pharisees, those religious authorities in Jesus's day, back in verse two of this chapter. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man, This Jesus, he receives sinners and eats with them. And what's Jesus's response so far? That's right. That's exactly what I do because my God delights in seeking and in saving lost sinners. And by the way, my mission is to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus is all about. He is all about seeking out the lost and finding them. And now, at the end of this chapter, he takes it to the next level. Because we saw that sheep, which, you know, in, in, in the context of a hundred sheep, one um, you know, doesn't stand out to us as awfully valuable, although it was valuable to the shepherd. And then that coin was, was a bit more valuable. It's an entire day's wages that was lost. But now we come to a son, a son of a father. The height of value. This is all working to this lesson that Jesus wants to show us the compassion of God for lost sinners. Now we're gonna see this in this parable that brings everything we've seen to, to this great climax, this great height. It's great finale. And we're going to see it by looking at each of the characters. First, the younger son, then the elder son, and finally, the gracious father. The younger son, the elder son, and the gracious father. As we look at the younger son, 
we see a lost son. He's lost. He's, he's like that sheep that we talked about that is strayed. He's, he's like that coin that's rolled away. But here we see what was missing in those parables before. That when Jesus is talking about lost things, he's talking about things that are intentionally lost. Lost because their heart is lost. And that's what we see with this son. He is lost in his reckless rebellion. He is lost in his sin. And we see it from the very beginning of the story. What's the first thing that comes out of his mouth? The first thing we hear is a request that just bears his heart wide open. He says, hey, dad, give me the share of, your, of my inheritance. Give me the money that's, that I'm going to get. And that's a completely shocking request. Because this son, he was entitled to one third of his dad's estate. And his older brother was entitled to two thirds as the firstborn. But here's the thing. They only got it when their dad died. And so um, you can picture the audacity of this. When here comes the son to his father and, and he says, dad, give me the money now. What's he effectively saying? He's saying, dad, you're not dying fast enough. Speed it up. I need my money. What is he? That's right. What does he most care about? He most cares about not, not the warmth in the presence of his father, but the money uh, that the father has earned in his estate. And so we, we hear this and we say, how presumptuous of this guy. How shameful, how disrespectful that he would say this to his father. And yet, here's the thing about this younger son. He knows it. He understands the cultural customs of his day. He knows how rude it is to ask this of his dad, but he doesn't care. His heart is so lost. And do you see how lost it was even before he walks away from home? Even while he's living with his family, even while he's, you know, begrudgingly doing the dishes and, you know, uh, sitting around the family table, his heart is far away from home. His heart is way off in that far country. He's already sold out to his selfish pursuit of his own pleasures. He's already dreaming about what he's going to do when he gets his hand on all that money that's owed to him. Not even owed, you know, the money that's coming to him. And, and he doesn't, he's just sick of living by these rules in his home. He's, he's sick of dad holding him back from the man he wants to be. He wants out and he wants out now. Now friends, when I see this heart of this son, it breaks my own heart because there are so many who are like him. In fact, you see this son and what you see is a picture even of, of the culture of our day. What do we hear over and over again? Slogans around, uh, around us today. You need to find yourself. You need to be the person that, that you know you are inside. And you don't let anyone hold you back from that. Even your parents, even the confines of your own home. And so we see people uh, encouraged in the relativism of our age to invent themselves. And in reality, we see what this is. It's, 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 it's the picture of this younger son, a picture of someone who is ungrateful, who is selfish, who is rebellious 
whose heart is far from the Father, whose heart is in fact lost. And so it's no surprise that this younger son, throughout this parable, what happens? He slides deeper and deeper and deeper into lostness. The further he gets away from home. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Here he is far away from home and this kid loses complete control. He gives in to all those longings of his heart. Without dad there to, to, to hold him back, he just slides full into it. He gambles away all his dad's money like it's nothing. He feasts in the far country like a king and he does that until he's wasted. And then he pays for pleasure and he can't get enough of it. Until finally, when that swim and when that, not, uh, when a famine sweeps across the land, everything just falls out from under him. And where does he end up? He ends up in a pig pen, eating slop like the pigs, dreaming that he could, he could eat what they're eating. Now let's pause just right here. Do you, do you see yourself in this younger son? Do you see yourself in his son? At first, you see how shameful of the depths that he's stooped to. And you say, no, that's not me. But, but look a little closer. Because Jesus is holding up a mirror to the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes and the thieves that are gathering around him. They'd see themselves in this, in this younger son. Do we? Do you ever feel the tug of your heart to flee from your heavenly father? Do you ever wonder what it would be like for once to take control of your life and to, to become that captain of your fate? Or maybe God's rules are starting to feel a bit like a straitjacket to you. And you dream about what it would be like for you to wander into the, into the far country just for a day, just to give in to your temptations, just for one, just for an hour. Maybe you've already gone there. You've already walked down that road and maybe you're living deep in the far country right now. And you're starting to see how completely empty that it leaves you. Isn't that what sin does, friends? It, it, Brad prayed this earlier. Sin looks so good. It looks like a journey, like an adventure you're starting off on. Like a new endeavor but it always disappoints in the end. It always leaves you stranded and empty and dehumanized too, right? Stripped of your dignity, living like animals. And maybe right now you're starting to see that that's, that's the trajectory of your life. Because here's the picture of every sinner who rebels against the heavenly father. Here's the picture of the tax collectors, the thieves, the prostitutes. Here's a picture of every ungrateful and rebellious and reckless sinner, sinners like you and me who in different shades and in different ways have strayed in their hearts from the Father who lovingly gives us order, lovingly gives us structure and direction. Well, that's the picture we have here. It's a picture of a son who has wandered in his rebellion until he is lost 
But don't miss the good news. Just want to give you a glimpse of this before we move on. The good news is that there's hope for sinful sons and daughters in the arms of this gracious father. Because what, what do we see right after the son gets to his all, all-time low in that pigsty? We see him beginning that walk of shame from the far country back to his father's house. We see him hatching a plan, a plan that involves him becoming a servant, like a hired servant in his father's home. At least that's better than hanging out in a pigsty. But his dad has different plans. Verse 20. But while that younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now I started tearing up when I heard those words, even when I read this scripture, because that's amazing. That's amazing that after the son would stoop so low that the father would be this full of forgiveness. The father runs. He says he picks up his garments. Now this is totally unbecoming of a father in this time to run with his, with his uh, robe up to his ankles, running to his son. That is, that is culturally unbecoming. And the father does it because, because it's compassion that swept over him and he doesn't care. He forgives. Even before the son has hatched his full plan, words of forgiveness are already dripping off his lips and he celebrates. He He puts new clothes on this son. He throws a party for this son. The son who squandered away all of his inheritance. He throws that guy a party. Now, I want you to see that costly love. I want you to reflect on that deep forgiveness because it's the forgiveness which your heavenly father showers on you in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. That's the care and the forgiveness and the love of God for straying sheep for lost sons, for sinners who repent. And we could end there. Many preachers have and, you know, called it a day, picked up next week. But there's eight more verses. There's another son. And you'll remember, I, I asked you in an email to reflect upon the question, how many lost sons are there in this passage? We've already seen one, but there are, in fact, two. There is this older son who hears the news of the, the son's, his brother's return. He hears the music, and his answer, his, his, his deep anger and frustration shows us that this older son is, in fact, deeply lost. He is lost in his self-righteousness. Now, if you ask this older brother, hey, do you know you're lost? Why why, why are you lost? He would would laugh at you. He would laugh in your face and he'd probably say something like, me, you think I'm lost? Do I look lost to you? I've I've never strayed from home. You must be mistaking me for my younger brother, that that, uh, guy who lost all his money, who humiliated the family, went off to the far country, But don't be fooled by the the older brother because he is really lost. And to see it, we have to look inside. We have to kind of bear his heart as well. And what we're going to see is that his heart is distant and cold and really just as far from the father 
that his, his younger brothers was at the beginning of this parable. What do we see when we look in this older son's heart? We see judgmentalism. He is dripping with pride and comparison and contrast with his younger brother. The older son looks down on his younger brother with disgust, so much so that he says, in effect, you'd never find me in the pigsty. I'd never become a failure like him. And notice he doesn't even call him my brother. He calls him your son. Here's the thing about elder brother syndrome. It feeds off the failure of others. Loves it. Even if that's not ever admitted, it just thrives off of it. Because deep in this, in his heart, this elder brother, he, he embraces the contrast between him and this younger brother. He loves to contrast his tidy persona with this bad reputation of this rebellious younger son. That's why he won't rejoice when his, with his dad when the, lost found, when the lost son is found. But the elder brother syndrome goes deeper than that. Because you have this pride that is constantly contrasting himself with his rebellious younger brother. But you also see something deeper. What is it that drives that pride? It is a slavish obedience. Kind of obedience that, that is bound to duty to the core. Look what he says. All these years I have been serving you. Really that word for serving It's the word used for a slave who goes out to the field. He says, all these years I have been slaving for you, dad. Where do we find him in this text? He hears the music from a distance because he's out in the field. He's working. He's working relentlessly. His hands are tired from the work he's doing in the field. And that's the life of this older brother. Joyless compliance. Every day, the elder brother goes through the motions of doing exactly what he's told. Every day, the older brother goes through that cold moral action. He does his duty. Every day, he's driven by that performance of no mistakes, no slip-ups. but he knows nothing of the warmth of the father's love. That's where this older son is. And all of this brings us to a third feature of this older son. For all his pride, for all of his obedience, he lacks assurance of the father's love. What does he say when when he hears what, of the party that his father has thrown for the younger son. He says, you never threw me a party. You never did this for me. See, he's the perfect son. He does whatever he's told. He's the goody two-shoes of the family. But none of this has gotten him any closer to the heart of the father. He's lost. He's lost like his brother. So I ask you again, is, is this you? Are you an elder son? Are you an elder sibling like this brother? 
Because Jesus is, what he's doing in this picture, in this parable, is he's holding up a mirror now to the Pharisees. The ones who scoff at him gathering and receiving tax collectors and sinners. And he's showing them this spitting image of themselves in this older son. But once again, while we're looking at that mirror, we might catch, catch a reflection of ourselves. We might see ourselves in that picture. Think, brothers and sisters, of how easy it is to slip into that performance-driven Christianity. Obedience to the Father is good. It is. Truly, it is. But not this slavish, self-righteous obedience. You see that setting in whenever you, you find yourself turning the pages of your Bible day after day just to do your duty. But there's no warmth in knowing the Father and his word. You pray every day with that same consistent routine, but there's no joy in your prayers. There's no bearing of your heart to your Father. You pat yourself on the back when you see someone sin in a way that you'd never dream of sinning, and you say, yeah, I'm not like him. Yeah, I wouldn't do what she's done. And all the while, your heart is far, far, far from God. It's in the fields, just as far as, you, as, as the, the first son was. His heart was in the far country. And so what we see in this parable, friends, is two different kinds of lostness. The lostness that comes with rebellion, blatant disobedience to the Father's commands, and the lostness that comes with self-righteousness. A pride pats ourselves on the back when we have outward conformity to God's law, outward obedience, but the heart is far. So let's bring this to the third figure, the gracious father. And as we, as we do this, we need to ask, how can younger sons and elder sons escape the slavery of their sin? How can the reckless and the self-righteous together find hope for change and belonging in the Father's house. How can we do this again? We can do this by seeing this gracious Father. Notice that the, the two sons never really saw their father. They, their minds are, are always focused on other things. But if they really saw the Father, what would they see? They would see a father who finds lost sons, who seeks lost sons at his own expense. Over and over again in this passage, God moves towards lost sinners with his initiating love. He moves towards the rebellious younger son. We already saw this. As soon as the son even gets close to the house, the father's waiting. And there he is with all of his... um, his violations of cultural customs, pulling up his robes and running to embrace and kiss this, and kiss this lost son. But don't miss that we see something similar with the elder son. Notice who approaches the elder son while he's stewing in his anger. Notice who approaches him with tenderness and gentle words and reassurance. He comes to the stubborn Pharisee. It's the father. The father comes to this self-righteous son. And he, what does he say? He says, here are my son too. All that I have is yours. 
This is how our father speaks to us. He speaks to us not as slaves, but as sons. We see this. We see this, friends, through the initiating love shown to us through the true elder brother, through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you notice in this parable that something is missing? In the first two parables, great initiative is shown. Great seeking is shown by the shepherd who goes after the sheep. By the woman who sweeps for the lost coin. But you come to this third parable and something's missing. No one goes after that son while he's off in the far country. He's there in the slop, in the pig pen. No one seeks him. And I think that that's meant to stand out to us because what it shows us is that this is what the elder brother, the true elder brother is meant to do all along. He's meant to take initiative, to go to the son, to go to his brother who strayed, to find him, to take him on his shoulder and say, come on, let's go back to dad's house. And when we see this missing in the parable, it leads us to the one who is speaking the parable. The only begotten son sent by the father to be our true elder brother. What did Jesus do when we were far off in the far country? He sought us out. He sought us like a shepherd who seeks sheep. He sought us like a housekeeper who sweeps the floor until we were found. And when that true elder brother found us, in the far country, far from home. He took us naked and dirty and eating slop in the pig pen and he brought us to the father's house at his own expense. It cost our savior dearly. On the cross, our Jesus, our true elder brother, he was stripped of his robes so that we could be clothed with them. On the cross, the great, the only son of God was, he suffered the loss of the warmth of the father's presence when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he cry that out? It wasn't because he was lost in sin. He never sinned. It was, he cried that out so that in suffering that loss, the loss of the cross, lost sons and daughters like us could be brought into the warmth of the Father's presence so that now he could spread the feast for us and welcome us there and rejoice over us with loud singing and to walk arm in arm to that feast, true elder brother that he is. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 says this, he delights in calling us his brothers. He delights in calling us his sisters. Friends, when you see that costly love of the father who sent his only son, the one who moves towards us with initiating love, that grabs our hearts when we really see it. And that's the very thing that then moves us towards God with the joy of repentance. 
what is this whole parable about? It is about a God who seeks lost sinners, but he doesn't just seek them. The love with which he seeks them turns them, turns us around so that now we turn away from our sins, we turn away from our self-righteousness, and we turn to the God who now calls us to a loving obedience, an obedience that flows out of gratitude for what he's done. How can we not then turn towards the gracious God and receive sinners like us and move towards them and welcome them to the feast? Let's go to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gracious movement towards us, for the truths of the gospel. We thank you that this good news comes to the reckless and the self-righteous alike because, Lord, this is us. This meets us all the time. We pray that you would... Break our hard hearts when we harden them. And Lord, that we would, by your spirit, be moved towards love and gratitude and service as sons and daughters in your presence. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.